Bible or your smartphone or some device, you'll be looking at the text with us. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning, we'll be in, starting in verse 17 if you're typing it in. Hey, so as we, as you're turning, um, as, as moms and dads are, are coming back in the room, um, just a little bit of recap. Um, we have been working through Corinthians now for the last couple months. Um, and what we, what we looked at, um, and really those chapters 8 through 10, was this reminder that God is, he is, he's faithful to us, but what he's, what he's asking is for us to care about others, right? That, that so often um, church um, can be individualistic, and he's saying, hey, I want you to put the needs of others actually above yourself. And so he talked about it specifically in, in light of idol worship, that those who didn't really have an issue going and celebrating meals um, in, in the temples, he's like, you're actually hurting um, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want you to care about one another. I want you to lay rights and freedoms that you rightly have in Christ down for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we transitioned out of chapter 10 into chapter 11, we're moving now into a section for the next several chapters that's going to be focused on worship and what worship looks like, what worship should do in our hearts, what, what, what the demeanor of worship is just going to hit on a lot of different practical facets of it. And so last week, we looked at a passage that is probably one you haven't dealt with a lot. It was the talking about head coverings um, in, in a passage that I had never preached, um, that most of us had probably never heard a sermon specifically on that passage. Um, and what we were able to see, though, is that Paul was commending them. He's saying, hey, I appreciate the fact that you're attempting to live out the traditions I've given you. And the point we saw there in the head coverings was about gender distinctiveness, that what God had created and ordered in creation, that he wanted to continue to see this distinction between male and female in worship. Um, so this week, we're going to look at a far more familiar passage, a passage that whether you knew it was in 1 Corinthians 11 or not, if you have much um, interaction with the church, you're going to be familiar with it. Um, and, and I, but I want us to be reminded of this, that the, what Paul is doing is he writes this letter back to the church in Corinth, the church that he knows, that he loves, that he spent 18 months there, that he knows their needs and their names. Um, as he's hearing reports back from Chloe and some of her people, as they're writing letters back and forth, that his concern is that the church in Corinth would image, like would, would reflect to the Corinthians the character of God, the nature, the, the facets of who God is. Because he says, look, we're not going to build a temple. We're not going to have, you know, a temple to Diana like some of these others do where we worship. We're going to, we ourselves are the temple of God. That individually you are, um, you have the spirit within you, and then together that we are reflecting the character and the nature of God to a world that doesn't know Him. And so he has looked at a lot of behavioral issues that are going on in the Corinthian church. He's saying, hey, you're not accurately reflecting the character of God. And last week, we, he commended them. This week, it's not so much. It's not a, he's not commending them. There's a critique because their worship is not rightly, correctly reflecting the character of God. They're not being faithful image bearers. All right, so let's pick up in verse 17 of chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, 
I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Who, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. All right, so here's the scene. What, what is going on is that they're in a culture. Remember, um, the city of Corinth is a, is a bustling port travel city where all the cults, all the religions, all these different philosophies of the world have arrived. And so it's just a very pluralistic, worldly city. And so one of the most common practices of any sort of worship service for any sort of deity or idol or whatever you want to call it was that there would be a mill attached to it. There would, there would actually be um, a meal. And that, remember, that's what we got into with the idol worship. And what is happening is that when they would go, especially to a god like um, Bacchus, right, um, that to inhibit any sort of self-control would have been dishonoring to this god who wanted you just to, to flourish um, in, in every fleshly way possible, to, to eat, um, to gorge yourself, to drink freely, to drunkenness. And it was like you were celebrating this god, right, by just taking everything in. And so in all of these different um, temples, worship settings, what would happen is there would be some sort of meal attached to it. Well, the fact was, was the Christians have a meal attached as well, right? The Lord's Supper. And so they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and yet their culture is saying, hey, there's one way to do that. And when you do it, you go all out. And, and, and you, you see drunkenness, and you see excess, and you see um, exuberance. And so they're meeting in most likely homes. And if you look at homes in Corinth, the dining area would not have been large. And so they were setting the dining area aside for the, the richest, wealthiest, best, right, in whatever societal way you want to look at, got to sit in the dining room. And everyone else is pushed off into the atrium and other areas. And they are basically mimicking what they've seen in, in their culture, in their world, with these parties of excess. And so Paul is now writing to them saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I can't commend you in this. We, we've got to talk about what the Lord's Supper actually is, what, what is supposed to be going on here. 
And so here's where I want us just to start this morning is what is the Lord's Supper, right? And I think some of us, we grow up in West Texas, and, and there's just some things about the church that we, we know and we can, we can voice a little bit so we can talk about baptism, we can talk about salvation. But if really pressed on, we're like, ah, don't, don't make me go too far here, right? I'm afraid I'm going to speak out of turn. And so the Lord's Supper is, is a meal, right, that has roots first and foremost in the Passover, which we were in Exodus prior to this. And remember, the Passover is when God rescues His people out of Israel, or sorry, yeah, out of Egypt, and sends them to the Promised Land. In the night when they're going to leave finally, when Pharaoh's finally going to let his people go, that they're supposed to sit with a staff in hand, right, eating this meal of unleavened bread and bitter herbs as they're remembering these things, and, and they're ready to go with their sandals on their feet. They're ready to head out. And then from then on, every year, they would have the same meal where they would recount what had happened. The Lord had rescued them, right? And so they would talk about the, the screams and the cries they heard that night as people were finding their firstborn dead. They're remembering running out of the city. They're remembering the taste of the bitter herbs, which was to remind them of their time in Egypt, right? Like, they're doing this, and they're remembering it. And so what, what the Lord does, what Jesus does, is before His crucifixion, they're celebrating, right, the Passover in the upper room. And he's about to head to the cross. And, and he basically kind of recommemorates this thing and says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This is Jeremiah 31, 31, right? He says, like, I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's not, you're no longer going to have to say to your brother, to your neighbor, know the Lord, but they're going to be able to know me, right? That everyone is going to be able to have access to me. And so he takes the bread, right, as they're doing the Lord's Supper, and he says, this is, this is my body. And I want us to, to look at John 6, because Jesus is bringing to mind, actually, the time in Egypt. And this is John 6, verse 30. So they said to him, this is the crowd and, and, and the religious leaders, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? As they're talking to Jesus. They said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're remembering, hey, that Moses was a great leader. They got to eat manna every day. God took care of them. Jesus, what are you going to do? Verse 32, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, well, sir, give us this bread always, right? They're going, hey, if the manna was not even the best that God has to offer, we'll go ahead and give it to us. We're ready to eat. And, it can, and Jesus says in verse 35, so Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so he says, look, the bread isn't something physical I'm going to hand you. It's me. You're going you're to have to come and have me and they struggle with this. The rest of chapter 6 is really a struggle. They're thinking that, that Jesus is calling them to cannibalism, honestly. We see in, in verse 51, though, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so he has begun this conversation early in John. And now we, what we're commemorating is him right before his death, is saying he's taking the bread, and he's saying, right, this is my body. Now, I want you to imagine if I pull my phone out, and I pull up a picture of Carson, 
and I say, this is my daughter, right? This is my daughter. And everyone's like, your daughter's really short, kind of thin, right? It's an interesting daughter that you can put in your pocket, right? So some people look at this and they say, this is my, my body, and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm eating Jesus. No, right? It's like, just as I say, this is my daughter, I'm not saying this is my physical daughter. I'm saying this is representative, right, of my daughter. It's a, it's a resemblance. It's a picture of her. Then when he's holding up the bread, he goes, this is my body. He's saying, like, this is representative of my body. And as he breaks it, he's saying, because I'm going to be broken for you. <laughs> then my body will be broken for you. And he's wanting them to remember this teaching. And he says, that I am the bread of life sent by the Father. And if you eat of it, that you will be nourished forever. You will be satisfied. Isaiah 53 says this. This is beginning in verse 4. So surely, speaking of Jesus, he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he is saying, look, it's my body broken on your behalf. The, the, the mockings and the beating and the humiliation and the murder and the crucifixion was done to my body. And this bread is representative of my body and it's broken as I was broken for you. Right? And so he is, he's giving them this to, to remember. And then he's going to take the cup, right? And he takes the cup and he says, this is, right, this is the, the sign of the new covenant. And if you remember in Exodus 24, 8, when, when Moses was sealing the covenant, when the people were, were shouting out in agreement, yes, God, we'll do whatever you want. Now, we know that went awry. But they're initially excited and agreeing to do whatever God wants because he has rescued and redeemed them. Do you remember what Moses does is he takes blood and, right, and he's like flicking it, like throwing it on them, covering them in the sacrificial blood, right? Because they have to be covered. Jesus is saying, look, this, is, this cup is going to be my blood spilt for you on your behalf to cover you, to satisfy the, the wrath of God. The author of Hebrews says it this way. This is in chapter 9, verse 12 through 14. So he, meaning Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, to purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God? And so what Jesus is doing as he goes into his crucifixion is he's telling them, when you think of the Passover now, you don't, it's not just about me, God, rescuing you from, from Egypt. And this is my body. And this is my blood. And you're going to remember and you're going to know that my blood was spilt on your behalf, that my body was broken on your behalf. And what is going on as he's doing this is he is revealing the character of God, right? That we have a God who is loving so loving that he pursues his enemies. 
and takes his enemies and not just brings us into his camp, into his kingdom. He makes us sons and daughters, right? Those who are in active rebellion against him. And he says, no, 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 I love you. I forgive you. You're now, I'm going to call you son and daughter. I'm going to give you access to everything. It's all going to be yours. He makes us family. He pursues us. He puts us at peace with himself, right? He is generous because he did not spare his son the one thing that could rescue us, right? So the character of God is being put on display in the Lord's Supper, right? And, And so Jesus is initiating this at the Last Supper, telling us about the character of God, Right, so if that's, if that's kind of a, a basic look at the Lord's Supper, so what's the problem? That's not what they're reflecting. Right, what they're doing is because there's social pressure, there's a desire for distinction in this culture to be known as being a have and not a have not, that the church was emulating the culture and not the character of God. And so they're having people over and they're going, you... You? Oh, yeah. You, you know you. You? Oh, yeah, I know what you've got. You and you. Y'all come in the dining room, right? Got some good stuff set out. All right, the rest of you, have fun out here, right? And, and they're bringing them in, and they're like, there's literally meals happening, and, and they would all be at the same table, and people would go, choice cut, choice cut, choice cut, sorry, right? And these distinctions are being made literally at the table, saying, you're not like me. You are not good enough. You are not sufficient, right? Because you don't have what I have. And so, right, you understand now why Paul is going, I cannot commend this. Like, and so we see like just absolute bitter irony from Paul here. Look at what he says in verse, uh, sorry, in verse 19. So he says, I believe and in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you be, may be recognized. But what he's saying is, you, we all know there's got to be factions, right? So that you who are better can make sure everyone knows you are. Right? He's going, we have to have factions because we can't all be the same. We can't all be part of the one body of Christ, right? We've got to have factions so that we know who to applaud and who is our spiritual right, authority over us and who we should like wish we were like. Paul's like, no, right? There's no factions in this, right? There's no superiority. And what is happening is like this selfish arrogance. Can you imagine for the, for the working class, for the, for the former slaves, for the current slaves who have trusted Jesus, who are walking into the church and being told, you can sit outside, right? Yeah, I know you don't have as much, and you are late because you've been working, but we're going to enjoy this and hope you brought a sack lunch, right? Like this, this horrible, just selfish and arrogant thing is going on, and what has happened is, is that the haves are saying, I don't, I don't want to lose the things that make me distinctive, right? I don't want to lose the, the advantages that I have in this culture, and, and so this person served me as my slave, and now you want me to sit and share a meal with them like we're equals? Uh, so let's mimic culture. Let's do what the culture does rather than what the Lord has revealed about the character of God. And so they are literally dishonoring God's name and His character 
in the very means in which they are trying to say that they're celebrating it. Right? So they're taking a meal that's celebrating the fact that God has brought us one salvation and saying, but I'm better than you. And you don't get to have it. And Paul's like, I, no. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? You cannot do this. Cannot dishonor the Lord's name like this. So the, the contrast we have here is Jesus standing at the Last Supper, right, at the table, and he's kind of acting as the host, as the patron, and he breaks the bread and he passes the wine, and, and, and all take and all consume. And now in the church, whoever's hosting it, whoever's the patron is going, for you, not for you, for you, not for you. And he's like, that is not reflecting the character of Jesus. That is not showing a world who he is and what he's like. You are reflecting poorly. And so what they were doing is that it looked, what apparently was happening is that they were having a meal where there was a definite distinction of who had more and who had the best stuff. But the, the wealthy who weren't having to work as much were getting the party started early. And so people that were working are showing up to have the Lord's Supper with the church and people already drunk. They're already like overindulgent and they're looking and going, we don't, we know you and we know you're, you're suffering, we know you're poor and we're not even going to like, we're not going to give you any abundance. We're not going to take care of you. So right, like they are not living out the Lord's Supper. So that's, that's Paul's issue here. And so he's saying the one thing that should actually intensify our unity this should, should remind us of our sameness because we have the same need. We're in rebellion with God. There's one hope. It's Jesus. There's one salvation, right? It's one thing. And that's why in chapter 10 he says there's one loaf, right? We, we pass around one loaf because we're one body and because there's one thing that rescues us and it's Christ. And he says, so the one thing that's supposed to bring us together, you're actually using to draw lines and have haves and have nots, those who are set apart and those who aren't. That you're not bringing about unity, you're not bringing about integration, but you're bringing divisions. And Paul starts this letter saying, you have divisions and you shouldn't. But I want you to imagine now if the church was actually living out the Lord's Supper in proper form, what a powerful testimony that would have been to the, to the city of Corinth. Right? When they're going, man, the wealthiest and the slaves and the men and the women and and they come and they sit as equals around the table and they eat and they celebrate. And people are like, what? Because they say their God's like that. Because they say that their God has no, right? There's no Jew nor Greek nor male nor female, no slave nor free, that salvation is offered to all of them. Wait, to me too? Yeah, to you too. Right, like that's the, the testimony that the Lord's Supper should be having in Corinth. And instead they're going, and you're just like everybody else. Those who are better and those who aren't. If done properly, it is a powerful witness of the character of God. Right, it's why the church matters. Because we are reflecting to the world a view of what God is like. So a couple things here. The first is this. What, what the letter to the Corinthians has done over and over again is it's reminded us that, that our faith is not individualistic, that it's a part of a body. 
and that they were more concerned with themselves in this meal than they were about one another, about the least of these, about their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's saying, like, as you take this meal, you should do it in light of others. Church, would we be reminded this morning that our tendency in church, our tendency in preferences, our tendency in the Lord's Supper is to divide around those who are most like us, right? Because we tend to be a little bit individualistic, and we're like, hey, if you've got three crazy kids under five, then you understand my life, so let's hang out, right? And if you are an empty nester, I don't want to deal with your crazy kids, so I'm going to find another empty nester, right? Or if you're single, I'm tired of hearing people talk about their marriage, so let's go find another single. Oh, right, like, and what we tend to do is we tend to look for, okay, who's like me? Right? Instead of saying, no, 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 we're one. We are one. We've been brought together by the blood of Christ. And so now I'm looking, not going, what makes me comfortable, but how do I serve each other? How do we bring one another in to a meal? Because this is what Christ has done for us, that He pursued us when we were at war with Him. He pursued us when we were far from Him and has brought us into the family. So we don't want to be individualistic even now in our taking of the Lord's Supper because we're not having a a, a drunk fest, right? Like that's not what's taking place, that we're having this full meal and that people are doing this. But we can still come into the Lord's Supper and say, I don't care about you. Right? I care about me and mine, and that we're not called to that. The second is, if we're supposed to remember as often as we eat or drink, right? if we're supposed to remember this, what does that look like? What does it mean to remember? And I think for a lot of us, what it means is, I go back there and I'm like, I'm not sure what to do here. Jesus went to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I remembered what happened. But that's not what Scripture talks about when it means, talks about remembering. Remembering is remembering the past. Yes, there was this distinctive moment, right? It's, it's the same as the Passover. They're remembering this one night where God redeemed them from the hand of Pharaoh and rescued them. They are remembering that singular moment. So it's good to remember the moment Jesus rescued you. But they're also remembering their present moment that God is still with us, that He does not leave us, and He does not forsake us, and the God who did that is still active in my life today. And then notice what He says, and you're going to do this until He comes at the end of verse 26. So we're also looking forward in anticipation that this isn't the end. This isn't it. There is a day where we will sit and eat with the King, right? There will be a banquet feast with the, with the, the church and the King, and we will celebrate with Him forever. And so remembering is not just like some theoretical knowledge. It's also recalibrating ourselves. Where where are things off? Where am I not trusting that God is Redeemer, that He is with me, that He is for me? So let me give you this, right? Um, One of your kids has a birthday, and they come up to you, and they're so excited because they're six, and they're like, you know, they've they've been hoping and dreaming about it since, like, for 364 days right? And it's finally here again. It's my birthday. And you're like, it is. I remembered. Good. All right, let's, let's go about our day, right? And they're like, whoa, that's not remembering. And you're like, no, I remembered. Today is your birthday. I remember the day of the hospital. You were born. And they're going, no. Like, I mean, like, you know, you can just imagine the shock and the horror of that's not remembering. And you're like, it is. I remembered. 
You know, I didn't, you didn't have to tell me, I knew. What do they want? They want to be celebrated. They want to be remembered that it matters that that day happened at the hospital. That the, that the relationship is good and it's a chance to kind of recalibrate and to celebrate and to remember. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we're not just going, oh yeah, the cross. Jesus is alive and he is faithful and he is good and I want to recalibrate and I want to celebrate and I want to anticipate. It's a lot of eights. Um, right, that we want to proclaim Right, like that we're doing this because we are at peace with God. We have hope with God. We have security with God. So we're proclaiming that, that we don't live like the world because Jesus has intercepted us and rescued us. That I look around and go, you're my family. That you are the people I will spend eternity with. You are my family because of Jesus. And then we examine, God, where am I not trusting you right now? Where am I not following you right now? Where am I not listening to you? Where am I not believing that you're sufficient? And so he says, right, verse 27, therefore anyone who eats or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So verse, so verse 28, so let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. So what he, here's what he's saying. He's like, hey, so if this is what's going on, before you take the bread, before you take the cup, look around. How are you loving the church? Have you somehow put someone to the side and said, I don't care about you. You're not a part of this. I'm better than you. Right? Like that's, he's literally asking them. He's like, you don't eat this meal again until people are taken care of, literally and practically. So this morning, he's also asking us to examine ourselves examine our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ to consider where we're not trusting Jesus, right? That we are good in theory at going, I have a lot of sin, didn't kill anybody this week, right? Like, and and not really considering the fact of where we are or aren't following Jesus in practice. To really consider, right, that God isn't mocked. And what he's telling them is like, look, people are sick and they're dying because you're being judged by God because you are dishonoring his name, right? Like that God, like the presence of God isn't always a blessing. Sometimes the, the presence of God is a curse because there will be folks who will die apart from knowing Christ and when they're in the presence of God, it will not be a joyous moment. They will be judged and separated from him forever. And so he's saying like, hey, you want the presence of God to come? If you're if you're profaning and mocking and dishonoring his name, his presence is going to be discipline at best or judgment at worst. That's not right. It's, you, you, you remember this as a kid, right? You're in your room and you're doing something and you know you shouldn't and you hear your father's heavy footsteps coming down the hall and you're like, your presence is not, right, appreciated in this moment because with your presence comes judgment, right? And you are hoping for mercy and you're realizing I don't even deserve it right? And he's saying, so look, you're, you're doing this thing that is supposed to tell people what God is like, and you are dishonoring his name. You are blaspheming his name. You are profaning his name. And you wonder, my judgment might not come. My conviction would not come. And then the, the final thing is this, and this is one of the reasons. So we, we typically have done the Lord's Supper a little bit individualistically here. We haven't done it as a body. We've done it where you get up as a family or as an individual or as a couple and respond. And it's why we left the the elementary kids in the service this morning. 
because we wanted them to kind of just hear a teaching on this, that the Lord's table, the Lord's supper is meant to remember what God has done for you. Because as you take it, it's why the table is only for those who are believers. And so look, we're not a cult. This isn't secret. We don't go in a dark room and say, all right, now we're going to drink blood and eat, you know, eat flesh. It's, we welcome those who don't yet know Christ to, to watch, to see because what you're doing is you're taking the bread and as you're taking the cup is you're saying, his death, I need it. Like, I'm a sinner. And without this, I have no peace. I have no hope. But not only that, I'm saying he died because of my sin. Like, that my sin is also why he was mocked and beaten and humiliated. And so if you don't trust Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, then, then the, the, the cup and the bread aren't for you. But it's for those who are, who are now following and trusting Jesus. And so for kids, like I would just encourage parents, like this is a great opportunity to have a conversation as to what this looks like. But that we don't just automatically let a kid who wants to, to eat of the cup or eat of the bread and drink of the cup do that. Right? Because it's those who are, who are saying, I'm following Jesus. It's not just like a privilege because they happen to belong to you and you go to a church. Right? That we do this as, as those who have been brought into the family of God. And so we welcome those who are not yet a part of it. I remember being told as a kid, you, you're not, you don't trust Jesus yet, so you don't take of it. Right? Like, the, the, it's a teaching moment for our kids. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to do this a little different. Um, the, the band, or at least a portion of the band, is going to come up now. Um, and, and what we're going to ask is just that you would enter a time of confession um, and a time of examination. And they're going to they're gonna play without singing. And we're just going to kind of take three, four minutes here um, to just let the Spirit work on your heart, right? That we would not come before the table in an unworthy manner this morning. Um, and so, look, I don't know if you find this awkward or not. You can have your head up, your, your head down, your eyes closed. But I'm, we're just asking you to kind of come before the Lord. We're trusting that the Spirit is going to maneuver and work and reveal, right? And then after that, um, the band is actually going to come up. And when they come up at that point, um, sorry, we're doing different. I got to... During that song, as you are all, as Sean is playing, as you have gotten to a place where you're like, okay, I'm ready to take of the table. There, the table is set up in five places. There's three along the back behind each aisle. There's one up here. There's one here. Just whichever one's closest to you. Get up and, and, and take the elements, but don't take the elements, right? Take them back to your seat. We're going to do it as a family this morning, okay? And so at some point during this time of confession, of just reflection, get up. Um, as the band comes up, I'll, I'll lead us um, and, and guide us in that, okay? All right. Let me, let me just start us with a time of prayer real quick. Father, we, we come before you this morning desiring to honor you and to celebrate you because, Lord, we have hope because of the cross. And we can look forward in anticipation because you are coming for us again. So, Father, would you give us um, the, the honesty and the humility in this moment? Lord, to just confess sin, to ask you to reveal to us areas that are not pleasing to you. Father, that we might even get up and walk across the room if we need to, to confess to someone. Father, that we would care for our brothers and sisters, 
So, Father, we just want to ask you to move and to speak and to work in these moments. Jesus, we trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. So take some moments of confession, of prayer, and when you're ready, take the elements back to your seats. Isaiah 55, um, come everyone who thirsts, right? Come to the waters. If you don't have money, come and eat and drink and be satisfied. This morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are saying that we come as those, that we come as those without money, right? We don't bring anything to the table. The Lord has rescued us due to His mercy and His grace. And so we take as those who have no money, and yet we get to eat to fill and be satisfied that Jesus has put us at peace with God, that we have hope, that we are at peace with one another, that he has made us a family. And so as we do this, we are confessing our need. We we are confessing that we weren't sufficient, and yet that Jesus was. And so as we take the bread, his body broken on our behalf, church, take and eat, because the Lord satisfies and he saves. And we take the cup, right? His blood spilt on your behalf so that your blood is not spilt. His body broken so that your body is not broken. Right? That you are rescued and secure this morning because of Jesus. Take and drink and remember. So church, now... We get to celebrate. We get to remember. We're going to come now and just sing to our King who is good and faithful to us. Look, if, if you are completely freaked out or confused about what just happened, myself and a couple others will be in the back of the room. Man, come talk to us. If you feel the Lord saying, hey, this, this is for you too, come and talk to us. The Lord saves and He rescues and He brings you into the family even when you have nothing, nothing to bring. So church, we are going to, to sing to our faithful king this morning. Would you stand and sing with us?